Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This week, Jews throughout the world will be finishing the Torah portion known as the Ha'alotaha. It is found in Numbers 8, beginning with verse 1, and continues for four chapters through chapter 12, verse 16. This is a uh, wonderful chapter, Parashat. The Israelites uh, receive instructions regarding Passover. They continue their journey from Mount Sinai. And, as has become uh, well known in the Torah stories, they continue their complaints in spite of all the evidence that God is with them. Let me offer a summary before we invite our guests to join us. After the sanctification of the dwelling place for God, the sanctuary, God spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and have him light the menorah, so that seven lights shall cast light. And Aaron did so. Then God said to Moses, Take the Levites and purify them with waters that clean of sin and make animal and flower offerings to God. And it was done. God spoke to Moses following this and said in the second year after their exodus from Egypt, let the sons of Israel make Pesach on the 14th day of this month between the two evenings. Even if a man is unclean, meaning ritually impure, the Pesach offering with matzah and bitter herbs must still be made. For one who neglects the Passover offering to God shall be uprooted from among his people. And a Passover offering was made. On the day that the dwelling place, the tabernacle, was erected, a cloud covered it. In the evening above the tabernacle there was a fire-like glow. Only when the cloud rose from the tent of appointed meeting did the sons of Israel journey forth. The cloud came and went for a day, a few days a year, and each time that the Israelites settled and journeyed by the way of the utterance of God through Moses. Now, then God told Moses to make two silver trumpets for calling the community. Aaron's son, the priest, shall blow the trumpets. When the trumpets are blown, the whole community shall come before the tent of appointed meeting. It then goes on to discuss when at war with an oppressor, you shall blow the trumpet and you will be remembered before God and you will be delivered from your enemies. On that day of rejoicing and in your festive season at the beginning of the month, you shall blow the trumpet. The Torah portion continues to tell us that the people took to complaining and that was evil in the ears of God. God's anger was kindled such that a fire broke out among them and devoured one edge of the camp. And the people called out to Moses, and Moses prayed to God, and the fire died down. And he named the place Tabera, because the fire of God had broken out against them. But shortly thereafter, the Israelites cried out, complaining that there was nothing to eat besides manna, and they wanted fish and fruits and vegetables like they ate in Egypt, forgetting that they had been slaves there. Moses heard their weeping and the wrath of God. 
flared. In the eyes of Moses, it was bad, and Moses said to God, Why have you placed the burden of this entire people upon me? I cannot carry this nation alone. It is too heavy a burden. God says to Moses, Gather 70 from among the elders of Israel and have them stand with you at the tent of the appointed meeting. Then they will bear the burden of the people with you. As for the people complaining that life was better for them in Egypt, tell them that God will provide meat. Tell them that it will be so much meat that they must eat it for a whole month until it overflows them. He tells them that it was because they had rejected God who was in their midst, and you have wept before God, saying, Why did we leave Egypt? We then find a very interesting section story. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses regarding the dark-skinned woman whom he had married, for he indeed married a dark-skinned woman. They said, has God indeed spoken only with Moses? Has God not spoken to us? And God heard the words against Moses. And God responded, go all of you to the tent of appointed meeting. And God descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the tent of appointed meeting. And he said to Aaron and Miriam, hear now my words. My servant Moses is trusted in all my house. My mouth to mouth do I speak with him. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the God, the wrath of God was kindled against them, and the cloud departed. And Miriam was leprous, and Aaron turned to Miriam and saw that she was a leper. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, heal her. And God heard the plea of Moses, who said, El Allah, O God, heal her. Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not journey on until Miriam was brought back into the camp. So concludes the parasha, filled with interesting stories and interesting intentionalities. My guest this morning is Rabbi Eitan Kentner, Rabbi of Kehilad Beth Israel of Ottawa, Prior to serving in Ottawa, Canada, he served as the Associate Rabbi of Congregation B'nai Torah in Atlanta, Georgia. Rabbi Kentner, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. It's great to be here. Well, it is wonderful to speak with you, and we have an interesting parasha to discuss, chock full of um, episodes and commandments, but we want to begin this morning with talking about the episode with Miriam, Moses, and Aaron. And perhaps you could um, offer uh, our listening audience a recap of the incident and take us through what interests you about that episode. Well, uh... Again, thank you very much for having me today. Um, this particular portion is actually my favorite portion in the in the Torah, and I know rabbis, you know, it's like children, you're not supposed to have your favorites, uh, but um, but uh, for sure it is. And uh, this is towards the end of the, the portion. Uh, Aaron and Miriam are gathered together, and they are discussing um, 
Moses's wife, uh, that he'd married a Cushite woman, uh, and are speaking behind uh, Moses' back about uh, uh, that and about uh, some statements about his leadership and what he's able to do. And as a result of of this event, um, Miriam is uh, struck with leprosy, uh, and uh, so what does Moses do, having heard that? His brother and his sister were speaking ill of him and uh, and of his wife. Uh, is that he not only has the community wait for Miriam the seven day period of time that she would need to recover from her leprosy, but in fact prays for her to get better. Uh, in one of the first examples of uh, an explicit, like actual text of the prayer, present in the Torah, um, and he says, "El na refa na la." So, "El God na please refa heal." Nah, please, la, which is her. So, God, please, heal, please her. So we have this episode, and I know you want to share some thoughts about it, but given the context of our conversation in world events, um, mm-hmm. the episode begins with what appears to be a complaint about, by, Mo, by Miriam and Aaron against Moses' marrying a woman, Cushite, who the Torah, the term Kushite is usually used in the Torah to describe a woman who is dark-skinned. Mm-hmm. But, it, but is the complaint that they have that he married somebody who wasn't of the covenantal community, um, or is the complaint uh, something else? Yes, I, I, it's interesting because I feel like when I first struggled with the idea of the idea of a Kushite woman being someone of Ethiopian or of darker skin, uh, I was also of an age where I didn't fully recognize the fact that Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were also probably of darker skin. Uh, right. Because so often we, we think of them with our own lens and our own lives. Uh, and so when, when many commentators were reading this text, I think they similarly were looking at, at Moses, Aaron, and Miriam through the lens of their own skin tone and therefore were either concerned by or not concerned by the seeming challenge that they had regarding the, the skin color or the, the origin of, of this uh, wife that he married. Uh, but as I kind of think about it more, I can't help but think, especially because of the fact that they were also likely of a darker complexion, that uh, the, the understandings that I find most compelling actually have to do with they're not aggrieved that he married her. It's that you already weren't spending enough time with your first wife. What are you doing marrying another woman? Um, and when we already know that Moses has some work-life balance problems. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I think that's one of the major strata of commentary, um, that the siblings are concerned that Moses' first wife, Sipora, seems to have disappeared. Moses seems to have left her behind. Um, and now he has a second wife. And so, For sure. and, and so you're suggesting that the listener not focus on the uh, description of her skin color, but rather it's simply a means of identifying um, that Miriam and Aaron use that as a means of saying, this isn't the first woman you married. Mm-hmm. What happened to her and what's going to mm-hmm. happen to this woman? And certainly, you know, because we know that Tipori is Midianite, so we know that a Kushite would not be an appropriate description 
for her. So we know this has to be another person. Right. Uh, but at the same time, they don't even bother. You know, I don't even want to learn this woman's name um, that that you've kind of brought into your life. And whether it's on Sipora's behalf or whether it's a concern about Moses' availability for Sipora and uh, his uh, two children or whether it's a concern for his availability for the community as a result of this kind of added component to his life. Um, who knows? But certainly there's this... Uh, that, that component of it is the, the part that, that speaks most to me. All right. And then, well, the, the episode is introduced by this concern about another wife. The episode seems to really focus on Miriam and uh, Aaron's jealousy. That mm-hmm. why is Moses singled out by God? Uh, to be the recipient of prophecy. Is that a good word to use here? I think so. Or even, I would say, to have that that kind of special relationship. Okay. And how do we understand the Torah's um, introduction of this jealousy when Aaron has already been assigned a role, a significant role, as uh, head priest, and his clan will be the priesthood, and Miriam is identified way back in Exodus 15 as a prophetess. Mm-hmm. So why are and they jealous? So, as you mentioned before, the reason why this section spoke to me so much is because of uh, current events. So we have issues related to race at the beginning. Uh, in this section, I would argue it has to do with privilege, uh, with this question of access, uh, and who has that access and who doesn't have that access. So while as you said, if anyone should be able to have a certain level of access of God, a certain type of relationship with God, you would think it would be Aaron and, and Miriam, Aaron being the high priest, Miriam also being a prophetess. And yet you can still see here that there's the sense that Moses has access to things that they don't have. They have a, he has access to a relationship that they feel like they don't have and they feel that they're entitled to. And so what happens when some people have access to something and others don't, when some people feel like they should have that same access and aren't provided that same uh, amount of access is certainly, I think, at the heart of the jealousy that we're seeing here from, uh, from Aaron and Miriam. And then when, as it goes into the next part, the idea that only Miriam gets punished and Aaron doesn't also gets into some gender dynamics as well. So it's um, a small episode, not a long episode, a small number of verses, and yet it seems to raise a number of significant questions which resonate today. Um, Those of privilege being concerned that they don't have enough privilege, um, and that how much is enough privilege? Um, And then... And if someone else has it... Pardon? Uh, Excuse me, and if someone else has it, it means that they don't have it. Right. Right, so it doesn't matter how much you have, it's that if somebody else has more, then you don't have. Yes. Um, And then you raise the gender issue, and the Torah doesn't really address that, does it? Uh, For sure. The Torah doesn't seem to be terribly uh, concerned about the the gender dynamics, and in fact, if there's commentaries that suggest that Aaron was even more aggrieved because he wasn't uh, stricken and that he had to suffer because he wasn't and his sister was. 
uh, as a way to kind of work around uh, the challenge of if the two of them did this action together, how come it was singularly Miriam who got the punishment? And when you teach this uh, portion, um, how do you communicate to your community this um, less than equal set of punishment for similar behavior? Yeah, so uh, so I think that, that we, we have kind of this this MO of these, these characters who are, um, you know, from the very beginning, like Moses was their sibling, but didn't grow up with them. He grew up in a sense of privilege, uh, growing up in the palace. So he was like one of them, but not one of them and straddling in that way. And so we then see this challenge in relation to how that privilege then even plays out in all those other contexts as well. Um, well, it's certainly a, portion that calls for interpretation for um, sure and we haven't even gotten to the the actual call for healing in that sense of of what can i do to, to heal uh, someone else which i can't help but think about in relation to covid which still is such a such a huge part of what's going on in our world so do you want to take the time that's remaining to us to speak about this prayer as you alluded to earlier it's the first formal expression of prayer, asking, uh, petitioning God for something in the Torah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I often reflect on this idea of praying for healing, uh, because my understanding of God is such that I can't imagine God deciding who gets healed and who doesn't get healed based upon who prayed and who prayed more or who prayed less uh, for someone else's healing and well-being. Um, that I know of plenty of people that we have prayed for their well-being uh, repeatedly and vociferously who have not gotten better and others who have gotten better without the, the power of prayer. Uh, and what I'm constantly kind of reminded of in that sense is that so much of what, what praying for healing is about is about feeling that that's something I can do when I feel like there's nothing I can do. Uh, that I can't make this person better. I can't fix their problems. I'm not a doctor. I am not a psychologist. I can't, I can't fix the problem that this person is navigating, but what I can do um, is, is pray for their well-being and let them know that I care about them and what is they're doing. And I think that's why uh, the word please comes up two times in that section at the end, where it's like, God, please heal, please hurt. Uh, that the essence of the idea is that I have no power over what it is that is going to happen, over what it is that God has chosen to do, but um, you know, that power of the word, of the word, please. Um, and that it can represent so much more than just a word, but this kind of sense of longing, the sense of hope, the sense of desire. And that also that our prayers don't have to be long. They don't need to be, go on for minutes or hours on end, but this is literally a five word prayer with four different words in it. Uh, each of those words, um, the longest one is three letters long. Uh, and yet the point has gotten across uh, so beautifully and that the power of prayer is not necessarily about how long one's prayer is, but the the intent behind it and the ability to express what it is that we need the most. You um, introduced this notion of prayer as something that was extremely personal, that Moses doesn't have a fixed um, set of prayers, he prays after 
the experience of um, his siblings um, speaking about him uh, behind his back. And um, in spite of that, his relationship with his siblings is so strong that he wants his sister not to in any way be um, harmed by this experience. Um, do you think that he recognizes, he, Moses, recognizes that this expression of prayer is really his, his expression of um, faith, whether it's faith in a God that can change God's decision or simply a God whose presence offers him eternal hope. Uh, I feel like very rabbinically I'm going to say I, I, it can be some of both, uh, okay. that it's not exclusively one or the other, but I do think that there is certainly in that world a sense of the power of God and that um, it, he was heartbroken to see his sister in pain, seeing her separated from the community, seeing what was involved there, and so uh, really wanted God to uh, provide that sense of healing, but at the same time uh, it also represented this idea that there is the opportunity for healing. There is the opportunity for repair, which I imagine goes beyond just the leprosy, but even in his relationship with his siblings moving forward from that moment, uh, that, that healing would hopefully be more than just physical healing, but the spiritual healing necessary. The source of that jealousy, the source of those problems uh, could be assisted, and I think that there's certainly, as you said, that kind of hopefulness, that belief that... Uh, that there is that opportunity for repair, even if it's not entirely at the Moses, um, whether that's able to occur. There is the expression in Hebrew, refuah lema, complete healing, and you um, nicely lead us into the notion that there are so many aspects of this episode that call for healing. There's not just the physical manifestation of leprosy, that there's the healing of the broken relationship between Moses and his first wife, between Moses and his siblings, and what appears to be the broken relationship between uh, Moses' second wife and the uh, siblings, even though the second wife appears to be a minor character in the narrative. Um, and that, of course, raises the issue of the pandemic, um, likewise, we began our conversation with uh, a com uh, chat concerning the racial implications of calling Moses' wife a Kushite, a dark-skinned woman. Um, and now as we're moving into a second stage of relationship um, to this pandemic, um, how do you speak to your congregation about the notion of healing, of being whole again? having been interrupted, their lives being interrupted for three and a half months. I, I think that the biggest challenge in related to this and um, in relation to, you know, looking back in the last three and a half months is also the idea of we don't know when it's going to come to an end. Like there's this sense in the biblical story that we'll wait seven days and everything will be fine and then we'll get back to business as opposed to this prayer, which is acknowledging that, that real healing has to happen first before we're able to move forward. And so I think one of the things that I um, have been reflecting upon is the uh, ways in which um, the idea of separating ourselves for um, our own well-being, but not only for our well-being, but for the well-being of others, 
is certainly manifest in the story, that as opposed to the idea of the Israelites who hid in their homes and the angel of death was coming as a way to save themselves, while others were terrorists, the story of what's happening here is someone who's separating themselves from the community, not so that they don't get harmed, but so that they don't provide any harm to anybody else. And one of the amazing things that we've done through this physical isolation is acknowledging that we're not just physically isolating to protect ourselves, but also to protect so many other people. That is our job to think about their well-being, and that's one of the amazing powers of human compassion and human understanding of what it means to be a person, that we're all willing to make these sacrifices, not only for our own individual or for our family's well-being, but because we know it's what our community needs to remain whole and to remain strong and to remain healthy. Uh, and so for me, that's one of the, the major lessons that I hope we take away from this, the fact that we're all invested in each other, uh, we're all um, attached to one another, and all of our choices don't only affect ourselves, but so many other people as well. And so hopefully we're able to carry that with us through the pandemic as well as thereafter. Well, that's certainly the challenge as we enter in what is now called the second stage, where people begin to emerge from their homes, and the um, initial thought is, uh, I am released from my imprisonment, and I'm uh, looking forward to how I can now personally um, enjoy um, a renewed sense of participation in society, but what you've so wonderfully indicated is as we leave our protective cocoons, we are um, asked to be concerned not only about ourselves, but to continue to be concerned about others. And that's uh, a significant challenge for our society. Um, and you've eloquently identified how this story, um, in speaking about Miriam's isolation from the community, but the community doesn't move on from her. Uh, it doesn't leave her somewhere, but in fact the Torah tells us that the community waited for her, um, because her rejoining the community was uh, an important notion of what a uh, communal covenant is all about. Um, I think those are wonderful words, um, and I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Eitan Kettner of Kehilat um, Beth, Beth Israel. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Um, Beth Israel of Ottawa, Canada, for sharing some words about this week's Torah portion, Baha'alotaha, um, for Jewish faith. And Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a podcast of our show on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. Thank you and shalom.